Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20 with your hosts. Did, did you forget your name? No, oh, I know. That's the wrong time to do that. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll run it back. Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Everett the Asshole. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, I don't care how you are. Daddy's here. We got Will on the line. Will, Daddy, how are you? Daddy's here. What's up? Been a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it's been forever. It's been, would you say, January? Yeah, January was the last time I was on. It was uh, when you guys Skyped me, or when I opened Skype, I looked at the thing and it said January was the last time we talked on Skype. Damn. Wow, that's too long. Too long. It's too, lo- too long since I've heard your majestic voice. No, it's nice for you to come and hang out with the with the, the mailroom boys, though. We appreciate it. Yeah, you know, sometimes you got to get down on your subservience level and <laughs> kick it with the real people. Yeah, managing by walking around, and in this instance, sitting and drinking beer around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm. Are, drinking are you drinking beer? Water. I'm, I'm drinking water. Unfortunately, that's very unfortunate. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's because I drank way too much last night, as I told Everett about, and I I had to baptize myself in the pool today just to feel better. Yeah, I saw the pool picture, and I was like, "Huh, it's not that hot." I don't think. Yeah, how hot uh, is it out there? So today it was 80-something. I mean, the, the water cool. in the pool was warmer than the air, but it was nice. Yeah. Well, I, I've definitely had that. I'm too hungover to do anything besides sit in a cold pool feeling before. Been there. Oh, it, Done that. It, it cures all. You know, when I was a teenager, I was a lifeguard and swim instructor as well as a swimmer. So I spent many, many early mornings in a cold pool very hungover. <laughs> It's the only way to live. I mean, the amount of lifeguards at that early shift, that early morning shift that are really drunk, if my personal anecdotal evidence is valuable at all, is like 95%. Maybe more. Yeah. You're a lifeguard. Yeah. We, like, but the mornings are easy, right? Because it's just like... like Swim aerobics. Yeah. Swim aerobics. Those, those ladies are never die. No, they've got floaties. Not, not in the pool anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they do die eventually, but not in the pool. Yeah. Andrew, you didn't ask me, but I'll ask you. How are you? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> I had another misfire today. I got the boat wet again, and I'm having some electrical issues. Yeah. So I'm really, really just fully embracing the boat ownership. Boat is a money pit. It never, ever works the way you want it to. So Did you name the some- boat? No. Is that bad luck? I, it still has not had a maiden voyage. I've been on it. I on the water. I think you just need to name it before it's a maiden voyage and you have to do the champagne bottle thing. Yeah, yeah but the problem is I can't, like, I'm just having some electrical issues. So I went and re- I, we got it out today, fired it, and then the, so the battery went from telling me it was good to telling me it needed charge. So it told me that the battery is not holding its charge. Totally reasonable. So I went and replaced the battery. And then I got this new tool called Muffs. And they are a, they look like a headset, but they're silicone. 
and rubber and they pinch together real tight and you plug your hose into them and you pinch around the water intake of your outboard motor so that you can cycle water through it while it's running. So I can now do all the troubleshooting and testing in my driveway as opposed to taking it out to the lake. So that's the next thing is I'm going to be Nailed doing it. some troubleshooting in the driveway. Yeah, that, that was really unfortunate that you had to like get it to to the lake to test it. Yeah, Look. yeah. So now there's a there's a mitigator. And I knew there had to be. I was like, how do, how do you do this? Because there's a way. Yeah. There's obviously a way. And it's not necessarily a, you know, a 50-gallon drum filled with water and in your driveway. Though I've seen that in, in videos also. But this is a far more effective tool and a little bit less... Uh, less invasive like so. many problems fixed with a little muff yeah yeah like most problems <laughs> um so yeah and it's hot so i was like looking forward to being out on the water and in the breeze and yeah today was cool it was only like 93 yeah yeah relatively cool yeah that's really really you know temperate we've been like 98 we live in eugene oregon it's been 98 to like 102 every day this last week yeah did you guys One get my jackets out for all that Sounds chilly. Yeah. Fuck all that. Well, I do sometimes wear like a sweatshirt in the house, mostly just because I like wearing a sweatshirt, but also because we keep the house at 68. Friday night, my AC went out. That'll do that. Is it back? It is not. The technician will not be here till Thursday. Uh, What have you done to trouble? I guess we could talk about this off air. We'll uh, we'll we'll troubleshoot off air. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was still out. Otherwise, I would have offered us. Not invited. (laughs) Kim and the kids have been invited. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 so we're talking about something watches we're what, talking what? about watches we asked well, will you... to come here and help us talk about watches because we don't know because we don't know anything about watches i yeah. don't know anything either we're screwed <laughs> crack another beer my friend <laughs> we're talking I guess today i guess of, i will start of... drinking now <laughs> what do you think i mean will you kind of prepared this episode for us and obviously we we've done the thing we do where where we share information and have conversations beforehand but in your mind um what do you think we called this episode i was thinking like state of seiko or something like that but anything more tantalizing from the seo guy yeah i was gonna say for seo purposes it should probably be is seiko overpriced um you know my working title subtitle yes yeah. Subtitle, in, maybe no. In in parentheses, yes. Yeah. Uh, my working title for this was What is Seiko? But I figured no one would want to listen to that. Um, it's but a watch yeah, brand I, based out of Japan. They make some movements and some watches. Boom time. Let's enjoy some beers. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Quickest episode ever. Play the music. So, so, so um, I, yeah, what, what, what I was, was going to say is, you know, we just wanted to take a look at, you know, What's going on with Seiko? Because what you hear from a lot of people is um, every watch that Seiko comes out with is too expensive. Um, there's QC issues all over the place, misaligned bezels. Um, the SKX is the greatest watch they ever made, and they haven't been able to beat it since 1996 or whenever the hell that came out. So I thought, let's take a look at what's going on with Seiko. What are their prices like? What has changed with them? And is there any is there any meat? on those bones of is Seiko kind of turning into a brand that has no more value is too expensive and we should all move on to something else. What would the something else even be? Uh, micro Seiko brands. Kinda, 
Yeah, but Seiko <laughs> I, I stands guess that's alone the answer for that. everything. <laughs> Seiko stands alone for the most part in that five to thousand dollar range. There's some micro brands who are mm-hmm. who have offerings in there, but Seiko I think stands pretty much unchallenged in the five hundred to one thousand dollar generally. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's and some, some Swiss competition too, but I think that's right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, part of, you know, some of the notes that I had down here that I sent to you guys was, you know, micro brands aren't Seiko's competition. Um, They aren't competition for most of the larger brands that we think of, you know, like Oris, Tissot, Hamilton, uh, Christopher Ward, all those, you know, it's micro brands aren't their competition. It's each other that they're competing against. So starting with the premise then, and correct me if I'm wrong, starting with the premise, I think that is almost universally accepted and and, um, and and maybe with an eye towards challenging that premise, but Seiko is or has become more expensive mm-hmm. and is approaching overpriced status. Uh, is, is that fair to say that's where we're starting? Yeah. And I think that, you know, probably a good starting point is to look at the watches that they launched uh, the, the, I'll say the bigger watches that they launched in 2020. Um, you know, so think of the SPB 14X series, which is the uh, like 63 or 62 MAS that people are calling it. Um, you know, it's got the, the square lug box. Um, the SPB 15 series, which is uh, the Willard. And then the SPB 18 series, which is the marine master 200 that like the newer one that just came out you know with the the smaller marine master case that's not the one that's you know was out a few years ago you know and those are all msrp well over a thousand dollars i think they're between 1100 and 1400 depending on which one you're shooting for and and unlike some of seiko's offerings in the last 20 years those watches seem to sell pretty close to the RP, the retail price, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the ones that I was able to get in, uh, one of them I had to buy to get in and it was at retail, like no discount on it, even with an established dealer. Um, was, you know, was that I, the Willard? I, no, it was the SPB one, four, three. That was the gray dial. Um, got it. 62 MAS style one. Sure. Sure. Um, sure, sure. you know, but you know, that that's, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but you know, it's I, I don't know if that direction's coming from Seiko, you know, to their dealers saying keep discounts to a minimum, um, you know, and, and stick closer to the MSRP. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about these, but I think the argument is those watches are so expensive. Uh, they're a thousand dollars and I'm used to I, I'm saying I'm in the proverbial watch fam, you know, person. I'm used to the, uh, you know. Two hundred dollar or less SKX 007. Yeah, you know, that's what yeah. that's what I'm used to, and I think that's where you know people are like, well, you know, th- that's what I used to get. It was an ISO certified diver with some great loom, a bezel, and a bracelet, and it was a hundred something dollars. Uh, you know, I, I think that we all agree here that those days are dead. I, I don't think that's ever coming back. <laughs> the, I mean, those days died when the rumors of the discontinuation yeah. began. That's when mm-hmm. we started to see spikes in SNK, spikes in SKX. I yep. mean, you, th- there was a time when you were looking at SNK for 200 bucks. And they're back down into normal territory between like 85 and 125, depending on the day. But I mean, new in box, but 
They found a factory that had a bunch of boxes that SNKs in it or something. Yeah, but I mean, that's when those when those rumors started, and we started to see kind of the last vestiges of that affordable pro spec watch vanish. Yeah, and I, I took a look at um, on Camel Camel Camel. If you've ever used it, it's just Amazon price tracking. You can type in any yeah, it's product. A great, and, that's a great yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I took a look on there just to see, because it's super easy research to do for something like this, of what, as a Amazon sold watch, so not a third-party seller, what did the SKX sell for over its history? So the lowest price I ever found was in 2011, so that's 10 years ago, so it just tells you how long this watch has been out, uh, was $140. And the highest it ever was was a little under 350 in 2020, and that's after the discontinuation rumor started in 2018. Now the average inflation was, inflation yeah, yeah, on 140 the, is like 170 169 <clears throat> bucks. I looked it up before we came over. So it's yeah. really still 170 bucks, yeah. Yeah, and that and that's perfect because that fits right into the average that I found which is around 175. Now um, maybe today you might be able to get like a black dial turtle for around that. I know two, I think it was two Black Fridays ago, um, you were able to get a turtle for under $200. But, the, the you know, that's standard that's, SRP 777 turtle. Yeah. On, that, on that's, rubber. yeah. I'm going to yeah. make a quick that's interruption. A sale. Currently, an SKX 007K2 on a bracelet on Amazon, $800. Holy crap. <laughs> but that's I think a couple like of weeks a, ago, it was like $500. So it's already gone up. Now I think you can find them today, maybe not on Amazon, but you can find them today for like four ninety five. So. The J one six nineteen, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. The, and the so used ones at... are still, you know, affordable. People are selling them for what a new one cost, you know, probably you know a couple years ago. They're I think they're still like two hundred bucks used in yeah, good that's condition, right. in, in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. But yeah. for reference, I mean, a watch that was previously hundred. What do you say the low low was a hundred and 50? 140. 170 yeah. bucks yeah. by today's dollars. We're looking at five to seven hundred dollars new in box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they don't yeah, they don't exist anymore. But, so it's hard to yeah. But still, that's a that's a big then they haven't existed. I mean they discontinued them what a year and a half ago? I think twenty eighteen is when the official announcement came through. But but yeah, I think it's one of those watches that there was a lot of stock out there. So it was it wasn't a a quick shut off the switch. Yeah, because you heard for a, a while that uh, there was always discontinuation rumors before 2018 that, you know, Seiko made a whole slew of them and they haven't made them in, you know, however many years. And I don't even know what, yeah, was it actually a official Seiko like letter that came out that said that these were discontinued? Because I don't think that Seiko really does that. I don't think so either. Well, yeah. In 2015, Hodinkee, I think, did a review or a, or some sort of mention of the SKX, where they announced we've got we've got it on good word from an insider that the SKX has been discontinued. Right. Uh, but that was still pretty early, and then that same thing happened again in 2018, and it felt like mm-hmm. at that point it felt like oh, this is actually happening. Whereas yeah, in 2015, yeah. it, it was clearly not not there yet. The nail was yeah. the was the release of the new the entire five line. Yeah, where they exactly. they basically silently removed everything that wasn't Seiko five, and Seiko fives replaced it. 
And I think the SRP Turtles came out in 16, too. So mm-hmm. maybe there was some truth to that original uh, Hodinky rumor. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there was. Um, you know, but, a but lot of inventory. You know, yeah. Barring, uh, you know, discontinuation rumors, you know, the point is, is that that watch existed as a, a major outlier of what was a good value in, um, you know, an affordable dive watch. Yeah. Uh, and, and affordable, I'm saying, you know, anything under $500. So, but if you, if you take a look at, you know, so moving on to, okay, so does Seiko make anything like that today? Uh, the answer I think is not as cheap as the SKX, because the, as we said, that that's dead. It doesn't exist. But I think that they do make a whole bunch of watches that are still being produced that fit into that value a little bit that I think people just kind of gloss over and they're like, Oh, well, you know, they released something that cost $1,200. So that's, that's all the dive watches that they're releasing and they're pushing up market. I've said that in, you know, my reviews, but when I was doing some research for this and looking back on it saying, okay, well, there's still the turtle. There's uh, if you want a little bit better turtle, there's the King turtle, which has Sapphire and uh, ceramic bezel and all that kind of stuff. Um, the dress KX, which, you know, we really like granted that's not a dive watch. Uh, the new field models that they dropped, which replaced the, you know, the previous Seiko five, uh, SNK models. But then you have in dive watches, you have the samurai, which is still being made and they're doing all the limited editions of that, which is, it's a little bit beefier, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's cool watch. Um, I've had it on the wrist. It's great. Um, the Arnie, which is, is bigger, it's quartz, but that's a sweet watch, especially for, you can get those for like. 250 bucks and uh the one that everybody touted as the skx replacement including myself the mini turtle yeah those are, are they routine. making the mini turtles I've, i'm having trouble finding those so, yeah so um they came out with a, a bunch of them um a few years ago uh there was the black the blue and i think one other color maybe a, maybe it was just black and blue i don't remember um but they came out with those and they were like I think you could get those pretty easily for like 350 bucks, which yeah, is a, which right. was a good buy for that watch. Um, and then they came out with a couple limited editions that weren't available in the U S and then they kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. And then I saw them pop up again where it, it's basically the same watch. And they added a couple new colors, including a black one that's DLC with um, uh, red seconds hand. And I'm pretty sure that you can buy that today on uh, Nomin Watch. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Gnom Nom. Yeah, them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can you can buy it there today. At least I'm pretty sure. Okay. They have a good selection of Seikos. Yeah, they're one of the they're one of the big Seiko retailers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, excuse my my clicking. I know that people don't really like clicking, but I'm going to look up to see if that is still available right now. I'd like to, you to type the alphabet really quickly for us too. And so I think, yeah. and I think your point, uh, I think your point with then will is, uh, w- what we're really talking about is, uh, I- instead of a push up market, uh, just a lot of variety within Seiko options, especially as we start to get down towards that lower end, right? I yeah. don't know how much the SRP 777, or I think they've changed the number yeah. on that, but mm-hmm. that's like, a. watch on a bracelet. And, and Mm -hmm. if you want Sapphire and ceramic 450 bucks for a King Seiko, um, we're still in that affordable diver range there. 
not yeah, as KX and, affordable, but but right. affordable. Th- that seven 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 is available for sub four hundred dollars at Macy's right now. Yeah, three hundred seventy eight dollars, yeah. and with a code three hundred and twenty two dollars. I don't know what the code and is, but it just says you with could code. Sign up for a credit card, and you probably get another twenty percent off. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the mini turtle is available. It's a four hundred and eighty nine dollar watch. So I think the price went up a little bit on that, but I think that's just because that's a little bit closer to what the MSRP is, and those are JDM prices also. So you're paying for the the JDM tag, right? Which, as as we know with SKX, with the you get the 007J, it's all of a sudden more expensive. Um, and, but anyway. and maybe and maybe meaning meaningless too. It, it, yeah, exactly. I have a um, Dremel. I'll add a J to any single one of your watches with my Dremel, and I will do it for only fifty five dollars. <laughs> right on the side bargain. Of the, crystal, the crystal, like a like a Omega. No, 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 no. Just to the case back. <laughs> so you know, you, if you look at those models, um, I think the argument can be made that they're still making very affordable dive watches. And Seiko is a brand that has the ability to offer that range, you know, from something that's $250 at Macy's, you know, granted that's a discount, um, all the way up to, um, I'm, I'm taking out like the Marine Master Series and all that kind of stuff, up to, you know, $1,200, $1,400 for their, um, you know, regular production model dive watches um, what about what about will the argument that um that price that 1100 1300 willard for instance uh is just sort of uh uh bald price grabbing price price gouging um because you you know you're a guy who's handled these watches mm-hmm. personally taken macro photos of the dials um you, you, you know, we hear people say that, right? That that's an, an additional amount of money that you pay for one versus the other. And that is emblematic mm-hmm. of the problem to the extent there is one. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that it kind of goes back to that um, conditioning in the buyer's mind of Seiko of, you know, th- these are supposed to be cheaper. You guys are supposed to be affordable, not, you know, eleven twelve hundred dollars $1,200. But the fact is that, Seiko's producing watches that are, um, I think, worth that money. Um, there are some watches that, uh, you know, are probably, you know, good buys, as we said before, with like, you know, the mini turtle and the turtle and all that kind of stuff. But these watches specifically in this in this $1,000 range, you know, look at the watches that they're competing against. Um, you know, the Hamilton Khaki Scuba, um, some of these watches, I, I don't think come to the forefront of some people's minds when they think about this, but you know, these are watches that if you walk into a, um, you know, jewelry counter at a big retailer, these are probably some of the watches you're going to see. So the Hamilton Khaki Scuba, uh, the Tissot Sea Star, Mido Ocean Star, or Mido um, Ocean Star, those are all around $1,000 MSRP. So they're basically right in the same spot. The Khaki sure. Scuba is 995 the Tissot is between 700 and 1,000, and the Mito is um, between 900-something and a little over 1,000. So they're all kind of in that, you know, playing in that world right there. And I think this kind of brings us to the next point we, we should talk about, which is discounting. Because you hear a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the, the Khaki Scuba, sure, it's $995, but I can get it from my dealer for 700 or whatever. You know, you're, you're going to get a 30% discount. 
but I think that discounting has you know played a role in how we viewed Seiko over the past number of years. But you know, as we talked about, that discounting is very subjective, and yeah. I think that it's slowly starting to go away um, because for various reasons. But I'll, I'll just touch back on the subjective part of it. Um, I, you, the three of us can walk into three different stores, look for the same model, and we might all walk out with different prices. I might get it for a list. Everett might get it for 10% off and Andrew might get it for 30% off or none of us. Especially because I'm doing stuff behind the counter. Well, and exactly. especially if we're talking about something like Amido, right? I mean, we may have huge price fluctuations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it's such it, an oddball watch. Yeah, exactly. You know, it depends on what the the specific store has in stock that they want to move. You know, we're, we're not dealing in, you know, Rolexes here that you have to get on a list. This is all stuff that's pretty much readily available. Um, well, and, I, and, and I think even when you look at, even if you look like internally within Seiko's own catalog, right, they've got these watches at drastically, not drastically, but different price points. You know, they've got mm-hmm. the, the Marine Master 200s, Um, at the sort of lower end of that upper tier, um, they've got, you know, just, we'll just say the SRP 777, that OG, they're maybe true affordable entry-level diver. And then you've got that next echelon, that sort of 3,500 to 4,000 sort of Grand Seiko Zeratsu level, Mm -hmm. not necessarily Grand Seiko branded, but uh, Seiko branded Grand Seiko level of finishing, etc., mm-hmm. and and you see differences, right? Um, yeah. The SRP seven seven seven. How many sevens did I say? Uh, Not enough. <laughs> you know, famous for having m- misalignment and um, kind of a crappy bezel and um, mediocre fit. You get to that next that next level and. All of a sudden, you've got real applied indices. You've got a much better movement. Say what you will about the 6R, but it's quantitatively a better movement. Yep. Uh, you're going to have higher degrees of finishing, better fitment on the bezel, for instance. Everybody raves about the Willard, that $1,100 Willard bezel movement. Um, no, nobody ever picks up a, a entry-level turtle and is like, gosh, the bezel feels so nice, right? <laughs> it might be fine but nobody's saying yeah. that so you do have improvements as you move up and then you get into that the four thousand dollar willard say say what you will about it but uniformly almost unanimously lauded by the people who touched it as just being a fucking banger right so yeah they, it's a, it's a they, grand seiko without being a grand seiko it, that's right seiko's doing things to justify their price whether you agree with those justifications or you think it's worth it or not, that's subjective, but they're definitely able to, on paper, justify it, I'd say. Yeah, and, you know, that that I think what you said in the beginning kind of brings up a good point where, you know, people spin the bezel and they're like, oh, the bezel stinks or, you know, stuff like that. I, I think that we take for granted in some ways with Seiko that uh, the, the amount of watches that they produce, um, different models and all that, uh, and how, even though they do have QC issues, they do, and we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit. But um, the level of a, a watch that they're able to put out to you, um, you know, for the money that they are. And, you know, you could take a look at, you know, that, that khaki scuba that I mentioned. I don't think the bezel on that thing's great at all. 
the lugs are too damn long and I don't think it fits that great, but it's a thousand dollar watch and everybody's gives it a pass because it's not a Seiko. You know, we, I th- you guys have talked about before how, you know, like some micro brands, um, you know, they almost have to prove themselves more than the established brands, you know, that they get, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but you know, they have to put more effort into convincing people to buy it, you know, as opposed to someone who's been established, you know, like a Hamilton, um, and they can get away with that kind of stuff. And they I get feel judged like... way more harshly. I mean, Seiko <clears throat> yes. is known for misaligned bezels, known for it. It's, in fact, so known for it that it's kind of charming. We sort of like that about Seiko. <laughs> At almost any price point, they drop a watch, the bezel's misaligned, you're like, oh, Seiko. A micro drops a watch, and there's a speck of fucking dust on, the, on yeah. a hand, and we lose our minds. We expect yep. perfection out of these burgeoning brands, but Seiko is like, in our hearts, earned the right to just fuck up. And not just yeah. a little. To just, like, meh, whatever. I don't care. And, the, the and I've said it in Seiko's. my reviews. It, you know, at, at the end, I, God, I forget which Seiko review it was, but at the end of it, I said, despite the misaligned bezel and the, the quirky bracelet that doesn't quite fit i really love this watch still if and this is me being totally honest about this if those same issues were in a watch from micro brand abc i'd probably rip them for it and i wouldn't say i love this watch despite all those things i just did two watches that required spring bar tweezers to remove the bracelet that's some tight tolerance i was annoyed by it yeah i was annoyed by it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, the uh, the the Hellcat you don't I get that bracelet doesn't go back on. That's why I was eating a granola bar. The thirteen hundred dollar Willard you can take that's the the end link off with a shoehorn. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's yeah. got like a millimeter of gap. There, why so. are we? Why do we tolerate that? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I I read that it's because the lug opening. Um, I read this like a week ago. The lug opening on the uh, those watches is actually like twenty point four millimeters a little bit larger and they didn't upsize the bracelet end links they just left it <laughs> it's like they, they fucked up the model or somebody me- mismeasured the cnc and they're like eh, this is oh, close enough yeah i wonder if it's an auto i wonder if it's an automation thing it's easier to to put them together in an automated fashion i don't know I'm just i'm just throwing shit i'm just throwing Probably, spaghetti it's not, it's not everett just sitting there pinning bracelets <laughs> together one, yeah. one thing that i thought about and i and i kind of i don't know if this is just a thought that we throw out or we land on it I think when you think of watches that, that came from Seiko that really captured our hearts and, and brought a lot of love to Seiko, I wonder if it was almost intentional. I mean, in the very much in the way a drug dealer does it. You know, we have the SKX and we have a Prospect dive watch for dirt cheap next to free against the other offerings. We have the Sarb next to dirt cheap against other offer offerings that are competitive with that style of watch. And then Seiko takes them away and says, hey, look at everything else we've got. It's the and Costco they, they kinda, chicken. Yeah, I mean, they, then they, they yeah, kind of the reimagine their business the model. We've got, the, we've got the Seiko 5 series with a lot of analogs, but not exact replacements. We've got some tiering, you know, some segmentation up from the Seiko 5 series up into that $1,000 range. And then north of $1,000, we have got a lot of great options. But they hooked us. They hooked us on the brand with these watches that were iconic, that are now no more. Yeah, I think that's I, a good. I think that's a good context for us to m- maybe explore this idea that Seiko pricing has gone up, right? Because I think, um, 
I think maybe there's some there's some nostalgia playing out for the days when you could get an SNK or any of those fives, and certainly uh, it goes without saying the SKX for so little money. Um, historically, what do Seiko prices look like, Will? So um, I haven't dove into you know many watches outside of the SKX, but it I, I think what throws it off is you know kind of what we talked about before is that these watches were able to be discounted so heavily that um, you know it 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 made them artificially low in price. You know it it was like we talked about the turtle. You know that one you can still kind of get cheaper, but if you look at watches that have been released after that, that are in that price range, like the Samurai, for example, I don't think that's discounted as heavily, especially, you know, the limited editions that they do with, um, you know, they have all those, those dials with the fish on them and all that stuff that they do for, you know, various, you know, uh, right. ocean charities, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think all those... patty editions. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the, the patty edition of some Seiko diver usually sells out Save pretty quickly the because it's somewhat collectible. Um, you know, but if you take that out of it, I, the, the thing with by Seiko not watches, patty people by watch people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think patty people are, uh, you know, like, Oh, I need the patty version. Um, they, they probably prefer it without all that patty marking on it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I, I think it's just, we're so used to getting those discounts that the, the landscape of how watches are sold has changed and Seiko and many other brands have adapted to that. And it, all you have to do is go on Seiko's uh, US website, which I think is SeikoUSA.com, where you can actually buy them because um, they have two and mm-hmm. it's very confusing. One, you can buy them and one, you can't. Um, yeah, you can just look at the goods. Yeah. So, Orient's uh, like that too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, so you look at their storefronts and they're selling their watches for MSRP and sometimes they have a sale. It's usually, I think Seiko is usually 15% off their online store, but any other online retailer that they're selling from, so you think of uh, Wind Up Watch Shop and Hodinkee, I think are probably the two biggest ones that they do sell through. Those are MSRP. And I think you're going to see more of that from Seiko and, you know, a lot of other brands, but, you know, we're talking about Seiko. I think you're going to see those prices consistently even if they were to make a watch that was exactly the same as the SKX, they reissued it and said, we're going to make it the price it was adjusted for inflation. There wouldn't be a discount on it. It would be a $500 watch. I guarantee it because they want to get the extra uh, margin out of the watches that they're producing. Um, if they can cut out, here we go, cut out the middleman, which in this case, the middleman is the retailer. Um, if they can cut all that out and get rid of those discounts, they're making more money. And at the end of the day, it's all about making money. It's not about making the hashtag watch fam happy about a good deal. You also got to wonder how much loss they were eating in in watches like that. Because Seiko was universally less expensive than similarly specced watches. It it, it makes you think. Like They realized that they were leaving a lot on the table. Well, so I was curious about this earlier, and I pulled up some advertisements from Seiko dive watches from the 70s. I I pulled up an ad, which I think is for uh, from 1970, for a 
6105 Willard, I think the 8110. Mm-hmm. Um, and it Gosh, was deep in the text thread. $95. The ad has the price right on it because there didn't used to be online and, and discount codes and, and that stuff, right? $95. So it's a $95 watch. $95 punched through the punched through the inflation calculator from 1970 is like 665 bucks. If you take that to the end of the 8110's run in 77 it's like 485 bucks. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of our left and right limits on the potential price for that watch at that time in today's US dollars. And that's the price of a king's king uh turtle what do we call that watch turtle that's yeah. right it's like not a king seiko and and even and that was their sort of entry level diver right mm-hmm. that was that was their Which this is the that watch great. that you buy <laughs> and it wasn't that great it was that's the 70s right. no watches were that great yeah so so then you start to think well has there ever been another seiko watch like the skx that's what I start to think. Maybe you don't start to yeah. think. Yeah. I start to think that. Well, and I, I think well, the answer is no. Yeah. I, I yeah, it's like I they fucked up the pricing when they launched. Yeah. You know, they were they were a loss leader for, in that space, you know, not with all their watches, but in that specific space, like ISO certified divers that, you know, were mainly being sold to enthusiasts. You know, it wasn't people going up to the Macy's counter and buying them. Um, you know, but that watch was an outlier. And the, one of the things I wrote down is I was like, it kind of reminded me of, you know, the stories you hear about it now, like, oh, I got the SKX for 120 bucks, you know, one day. It's like you hear those stories about, you know, the people who bought, um, you know, like their Hamilton field watches every once in a while, like a Rolex, you hear a story at the PX, you know, on, on their mm-hmm. army base. And right. it was, you know, uh, you know, a month of their salary or, you know, half a month of their salary. It was, a good deal at the time when you look up back on it, you know, retrospectively like, wow, I can't believe you got it for, you know, 50 bucks or whatever it was. It, I, that stuff is just gone. I mean, you, you guys know you go into a PX now, uh, this is I'm going off track a little bit, but you go into a PX now, it's the same crap you get anywhere else. You know, it's the, the same stuff you get at Macy's. Yeah. It, but there's, there's more Suntos. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The watch I, counter I, at the PX could could be lifted directly out of a Macy's at a Sunto counter. Go. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. You know, I, yeah. I think that... Well, the, even you look at inflation across, I mean, any of those luxury brands, you talk Rolex, you, you, you could... There's been a 20% increase in prices in the last year. Well, to, yeah. To, yeah. To, to add a little fuel to that fire, I looked up 1970, um, 1970 sub prices for 1970, and I figure... 200 about bucks. 200 bucks. Yeah. So like maybe $1,300 with inflation today. So let's talk about price increases, right? Let's not. Let's, okay. let's, that's a, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's move on from that one. Cause that's, that's a whole other thing. But well, is it though? Because I think that we think of price increases and the, the two brands that come to mind are Rolex because they seem to have a price increase every year, um, which doesn't matter. You can't get their watches, so who gives a shit? Uh, and <laughs> it's just to justify their used market selling. Yeah, better. yeah, exactly. And um, Zin. And the only reason I say that is because it mm. seems like every six months, watch buys is telling us that there's a Zin price increase. 
you know, whatever. Because there's but, no inventory. Zin's Zin's inventory is controlled perhaps more tightly than Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's slightly looser, but yeah, not too far off. I mean, good luck trying to get a U50. Um, you know, but anyway, so, uh, but like you don't get those notices from Seiko. Like Mark from Long Island Watch isn't coming on YouTube and saying that he just got notified of, you know, another Zin or Zin, uh, Seiko price increase. You know, I, I, you know, you know, not only that, but guys, I, I won't throw anybody's name under the bus, but guys like Mark from Long Island, when Seiko does weird things, are very, very unwilling to talk about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, which we know, and I'm sure you know, Will, yeah. not only are they not forthcoming, coming out with that information, but when you ask them specifically, like, I don't know if anybody remembers, but a few years ago, some of these major dealers in the United States pulled their gray market Seiko inventory Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. no one that I could find would tell me why, what was happening. We all kind of know what was happening, but none of the dealers would speak on it. So even off the record, we're talking about like just Andrew and Everett, like, Hey, we're curious. Like we're obviously not going to tell anyone this. We just want to know. Well, that's because you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. I think for most dealers, Seiko is such a, a, a widely known name that even, I would say, you know, outside of, uh, you know, the, the close knit watch community and you talk to someone and you just say, name me five watch brands. They're of course going to say Rolex. And then you'll probably get, you know, Citizen, maybe um, Tag Omega. Heuer, you get yeah, Cit- Tag Heuer, yeah. Omega, and you're probably going to get Seiko. Those are the five you get. Those yeah. are the five you see branded, logoed, every sporting event, every everywhere. Those are the five brands. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that, no one's going to say anything about it or talk smack about what Seiko's doing because they don't want to lose their, um, you know, their whatever, you know, their license to sell Seiko watches. Because Seiko keeps the lights on because normies buy Seiko. Yes. Normal people wanting watches buy Seiko. Yeah. And you just, just go on, we keep talking about Macy's, but go on any retailer that sells Seiko and just look at their catalog that they sell. They sell so much crap. It is an unbelievable <laughs> amount of crap. I can't... The amount of skews, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Jesus, I don't know how they do it. And then that's why sometimes w- with the QC issues, I'm like, I kind of expect it with the amount of stuff you guys produce. You know, it's like a cheesecake <laughs> factory menu. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, so if Seiko... Why do you have ceviche and filet mignon? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. So if Seiko prices in the last... 50 years or so for the baseline dive watch is roughly the same, which I think we've kind of determined that at least in 1970 versus now, the increased prices every two decades, the prices were basically the same. What of, what of this period of time starting in the nineties where Seiko has a huge, a tremendous amount of automatic, 7S26, Seiko 5 SKUs plus the SKX. And and is that a fair reference point for us to say Seiko price has increased? Well, you just brought up a really good point. I I, I keep forgetting. The SKX had a 7S26, which is a long-lasting but garbage movement. I'm just going to say it. It's got not a fantastic beat rate, which pretty much all Seiko movements have the same, the 21600 or whatever. Um, but 
you couldn't hand wind it and you couldn't hack it. If you if the SKX was produced today, it would have a four R whatever in it, four most R, likely. Yeah. You know. And that would immediately make it more expensive. Because when the SKX was still around, the watches that had four R movements in them were more expensive. Um and you know that that just goes back to the thousand dollar watches having the six R movements in them, which is probably Seiko's equivalent to like an Eta twenty eight twenty four. You know, I'm assuming, or maybe the, uh, what's the thinner one, the 2892? You know, it, it's it's their equivalent of that. It's a good movement. It's got a 70-hour power reserve, which is pretty sweet. Um, yeah, you know, if the, you the care, new ones, the new yeah, ones do, yeah, the 6 If you care about yeah. it, the, their stated accuracy is all over the place, but most people say that it's pretty damn accurate. Um, I haven't measured any of mine because I don't really care because I don't wear the same watch two days in a row. Um, but... You know, the, they're accurate movements. You're getting the ISO certifications in those um, pretty much all their divers. The loom is great. I think they save their best case designs for those $1,000 watches. And yeah. uh, they have uh, the uh, Dia Dia Shield coating, however you say it, um, which is a good coating. It is very scratch resistant. And they put that on their higher tier models. So there is that level, you know, that tiered level of product that you're getting, you know. Um, I, I said before, better, better I, hands, u- uniformly better hands, applied indices, yeah. more loom, yep. uh, stronger finishing, die shield coatings. They're doing things at every level. Yeah, exactly. Bracelet improvements, because you're not seeing that sub thousand dollar bracelet in that category. And it doesn't matter if you spend a hundred dollars or fifteen hundred dollars on a Seiko, you're getting a stamped clasp. Fuck off. But you're getting a different bracelet <laughs> sub $800 than you are north of $800. Yeah. The bracelet changes. I, the clasp remains, but the bracelet changes and gets better. I'm not the biggest fan of their their bracelets. Um, I know some people like them, but at least in the, the more expensive models, they are putting solid bracelets on that do have some heft to them. You know, you're not getting that jingly jangly, you know, jubilee that came on the SKX, you know, with Halloween links and all that kind of stuff. You're you're not getting the faux polished middle links and you know right. some of the more mm-hmm. some of the more trite uh, you know offerings. So yeah, well I, uh, I think I've got a theory perhaps I've got a theory perhaps that these seven S two six movements that are still fresh in the minds of us collectors who have been around for even just a few years um, that that perhaps these were a blip. And mm-hmm. when we talk about that, is that, uh, what does that mean for us? Is that blip, uh, something significant long-term? Well, a, why did it happen? I don't know that we can answer that today, but how does that affect this conversation? When a, when an entry-level Seiko diver in 1970 is the same price as a Seiko entry-level diver today, what do we take? What do we do with that weird period from 95 to 2015? I is think, that something we can fairly consider? Well, I, I think what happened at some point with the SKX is someone at Seiko said, we have this watch that we can produce cheaply. And this conversation may or may not have happened. We have this watch that we can produce cheaply. We can make a shit ton of them. Let's make a whole bunch and we'll get a whole bunch of people flocking to our doors for our divers. Um, and I think that is probably somewhat close to what happened. I said before about the Costco chicken. It got everybody in the door to go shop around and see what else they had, you know, and, and look, the SKX was 
a lot of people's first watch or at least a watch that they researched and are very familiar with when they got into, um, you know, quote unquote watch collecting. And uh, look at it. it. We talk about Seiko all the time. Micro brands get compared to Seiko. Other brands get compared to Seiko. Seiko comes up in almost any conversation and is in almost everybody's watch box. So I think at the end yeah, of the day, and Raymond Wilde, the two most common watches. You find, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you can say that it was the Seiko SKX was probably a strategic move by Seiko to get on the wrists of a lot of people and become a favorable brand that they would think of. And, uh, the, the, the price that they put that out for was yes, probably, you know, low enough that it had that effect, but it's, they still were, they still were still producing other watches that were more expensive that people were still buying, but they were like, I really like my SKX. So I'll go buy the turtle or I'll go buy the samurai. Now, you know, I, I think that was their rationale. And if, if that's what someone did in their marketing department and came up with that, I mean, bravo. I hope they gave that guy an award. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, no, that's a good point, right? Because you still have people talking about, you know, exorbitant titanium samurai prices and, you know, f- spork prices. It feels like the spork is not, nobody talks about the spork anymore. But there was, even when I was coming into the hobby 2015, there was still people saying, oh, if you can get a spork for under 850, 900 bucks, you should buy it. This yeah. is a $450 retail price watch that was for some reason insanely popular i think it's an attractive watch but uh so it's not like even in 2015 2014 2013 there weren't these watches and i think Mm -hmm. that's your point maybe yeah um and you know i think the last thing we had on the list and we we talked about it kind of throughout the conversation was just does, does seiko get a pass for their qc issues um that they shouldn't from my point of view but they don't seem to care. And I think it's because we don't care that much. Um, the Seiko that I'm wearing when today is, is, yeah, the Seiko that I'm wearing today is the SPB 149. That is a list price, I think, because it's an LE, I think it was 1350. And it's the bezel's misaligned. Not by a lot, but I know it's there. But if I was not aware of Seiko's QC issues, I honestly probably would not have noticed. It's It's that close to being aligned where... Like you almost looked for it to see if it was misaligned because you knew about it. But but if that was a calamity, would you have called up Nick and said, "Yeah, I would have been like realign my bezel, dude." Yeah. It, or if know. it was a Ming that is causing people <laughs> to lose their fucking shit. And in fairness, Ming's QC issues are far greater. But Seiko, it's it, that's a feature. We know Seiko has poor QC. It's more unusual to get a flawless Seiko than it is to get one with a quirk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at the, you know, the sale listings for Seikos and if the, basically the way it goes is on a used Seiko, if the person does not mention alignment, it is misaligned. <laughs> if they say right. it is perfectly aligned, <laughs> it is actually perfectly misaligned. aligned. It might be misaligned <laughs> too. They're, they, they have some parallax issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my SKX 007 today. Alignment's money. <laughs> so my seventy nine bucks for this alignment. My, uh, my SKX. My SKX. I have the one seven three, and that bezel was misaligned, 
but you guys know I like to do this. I popped the bezel off and made it a 60 click bezel. And when I put it back on, it was realigned. <laughs> so that's the answer. Just it's just like unplug it and plug it back in. That's right. Yeah. So I, I don't know what I did. I must have moved the spring a certain way that that lined it back up. Well, we'll have you on. We'll have you back on next week for our watch repair issue. Yeah. yeah there we go. Awesome. I've removed quite a few bezels, <laughs> and they are not going back where they belong. <laughs> Seiko, um, anything you want to add, Andrew? I th- I think we've done it. I think I think Seiko's a darling for a reason. Closing Seiko thoughts, Will. I think that Seiko gets a little bit of grief, and they should. And I think that they get a little bit of grief that they shouldn't. I think that they're doing some things really great, and that they're offering some really great stuff at attractive prices um, across a number of ranges. That I think that. We should embrace a little bit. I think we've been, I think we've been kind of spoiled, and we're like, oh man, a thousand dollars for this, where it's actually probably a pretty decent buy. And if it isn't, wait for a used one, and then it'll be a really good buy. So that's my two cents. Well, you're talking to a guy who's got, who literally has a Seiko Diver Wave tattooed on his body. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that with my, I'll leave my closing thoughts with that. Andrew, other things, what do you have? I got a cheap watch tool. And I got it for a couple reasons. Number one is we have an episode in the works for cheap watch tools. Number two is I was a little tired of people making fun of me for not having calipers. So I got a pair of calipers off the Amazon. They're from a company called Adoric. A-D-O-R-I-C. I'm sure that's a big Swiss brand. They are the Amazon number one bestseller in digital calipers. (laughs) They're $11. (laughs) They callip things. They, so it's, it's a digital readout. Um, I mean, just read the whole title. Usually, uh, Amazon titles are pretty short and to the point. Digital caliper, a Doric zero to six inches calipers measuring tool. Hyphen, electronic micrometer caliper with large LCD screen, comma, auto hyphen off feature, comma, inch and millimeter conversion. That bitch is a long name. Yes, certainly like there has to be a way number. to... You've got to be able to include your keywords in an Amazon listing without putting them all in the title, right? I mean, I assume... There must be a way that they have not yet figured out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it pulls from the description. It's just people don't know that. Perhaps. Um, but these have been... Great. They've done all the things I expect a caliper to do. For those of you who have not yet bought calipers and for, for some reason, I mean, I, I feel inclined to have a set of calipers because I write reviews from time to time and measure watches and measure other things. Um, are they are they steel or resin? They're plastic. Okay, good. Not even I think, resin. I think that's good. Uh, so they're plastic. Mm-hmm. The They zero out easily. They are impossible to move without a readout. And that's something that I've noticed in, in digital calipers is you, you you get some play. There is no play in the digital readout. It's very precise, which I appreciate. They are measuring plus or minus a millimeter to what manufacturers' re, uh, measurements are of a their f- watches. A full millimeter or 0.1? 0.1. Okay. So... Uh, I like a millimeter. That's a lot. So, but they're measuring plus or minus point. 
one millimeter to what the manufacturer is saying, which I think is within the manufacturer's tolerances, tolerances are, which makes me think they're actually quite accurate. They're very precise. And for $11, if you're in the market to want to be measuring watches or other tiny things, I think they're a good option. For 11 bucks, you can't lose. You could lose $11 and be less upset than by finding these calipers in your house. Yeah. I'm going to buy so a that's set mine. because I need a pair of plastic calipers, so I'm buying Yeah, them. I do. I do, too. These my, my Adoric. Metal, my metal ones. I'm always worried I'm going to scratch a watch with them. Yeah, yep. Adoric calipers. 11 bucks. They come in black, silver, and red black. Ooh, uh, red I think black. the red black... <laughs> The red black is kind of like rally stripe down the middle. They're fourteen bucks. Oh shit! There's a few red black options actually. I didn't even look at one of them's thirty one dollars. That's too many. Uh, no. Uh, so go with the black. I think the silver. The silver looks to be metal actually because it's twenty two bucks. But mine are the black plastic. Eleven dollars six inches. I, I think most people should have calipers for small measurements. Black plastic uh, six inches. We just became an adult yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So I have been using them for now two months. I've had them for some time. Uh, and I'm prepared to say, yeah, buy these. They're $11 and you're not going to you're not gonna be disappointed. I love it. Everett. I've got another thing. Do me. So I know n- normally when we're talking about other things, it's not watches, right? Or watch related. Although I was... I that was a watch related yours thing. Yours was semi-watch related. Um, but, but really, that's the only rule. Something else besides... Well, so my other thing today is an Omega professional bore bristle shaving brush Ooh. specifically the model 49 which you can get on amazon for between nine and 14 bucks depending on when you buy it i am a person who does not shave all that often but when i do i wet shave and i have some very nice you said 1049 i have a hundred and well yeah, the, the Model 49. I think it's 10049. Yeah, okay. Uh, I have some very, very nice shaving brushes. One of those is a hand-turned, it is. Uh, homemade, wood-handled, very fine badger-bristled brush that I got from Andrew as a gift. Um, and some additional like $120 shaving brushes. So I have four shaving brushes at this point. My favorite shaving brush is a 999 Bore bristle, Omega Model Forty Nine. So, the, the if, if you're a wet shaver, you'll know badger hair very soft, supple even. Supple feels nice. It is widely considered the bee's knees. Well, the the shaving form is called badger and blade. That's right. <laughs> very nice badger badger hair. Boar hair is hard. It's cheap, uh, and people don't like it for all sorts of reasons. Uh, me having gone through the same thing with wet shaving that I went through with watches, which I know nothing. I'm going to read, read, read. Now I know a little bit more and now I know enough and I'm going to do a podcast. Uh, I didn't do that, but you will. I felt like I could have, I could have at one point, uh, I discontinued because we sort of ran out of faces to shave. (laughs) (laughs) I have these brushes. It's my favorite. It's the one that I use. And um, I would, I would caution anybody who has, is a wet shaver and has used Badger for 10 bucks, buy one of these things. Few caveats. One, when you get it, it is going to smell 
terrible. So it doesn't it. smell good. Yeah. Soak it, hit it up with shampoo, rinse it, let it dry, soak it, shampoo it, rinse it, let it dry before you use it, even the first time. It will, the first time you use it, feel like you're applying, feel like you're applying your shaving cream with a ruler. Um, it's n- not terribly comfortable, but within about two weeks, it softens up, the ends on the hair split. It's got just a fantastic backbone. If you use any sort of hard soap, it's wonderful in the cup. It's hard to get a good lather out of Badger with hard soaps. Totally. Totally. If you're using a harder soap, you absolutely need more. I love it. I love it. For 10 bucks. everybody uses Badger because they think it's better. What is better? Everybody agrees it's better. I, as I sit here today, could not disagree more. I used my, uh, I used my boar bristle to make some lather earlier today. I was like, yep, this is the one for me. This is what I'm talking about tonight. The Omega Professional. You shaved this morning? No, I did my neck. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, can I offer some bad news? Yeah. The guy who made your shaving brush and a shaving brush that I bought also from him from a website called pensoftheforest.co.uk, Rodney Neep. You're going to tell me he died. Uh, no, that might be better. Well, no, it's not better. He's still alive, but... His website says he's having a clearance sale. Since I was fitted with a pacemaker, the doctors have advised the electromagnetic field from the lathe may alter the settings. Therefore, I am no longer making new pens and shaving brushes. So he has retired. Well, good for him. Good. For, well, I he's mean, got a pacemaker, so that's not great. Yeah, that's uh, not, but he's that's retired. Not a good and there are, there. <laughs> there are no more brushes or pens being made out of Gloucestershire, England. By Rodney Neep, and that's sad, because I wanted to buy another brush from him, because the one that I have is about 10 years old, and I will have to replace the badger, but I wanted another handle from him. Other things, rest in peace in your retirement, Rodney. Other things, Will, what do you got? Hey, since I haven't been on in a while, can I do two? You can do two, and also, Daddy makes the rules. Yeah, I don't know why I'm asking permission. I'm doing two. Daddy pays the bills. (laughs) So, uh, my first one is something you guys know about, because I've been sharing the output from it with you. Um, so I'm obviously a photographer, but I found it, I found it, ugh, can't talk. I find it very difficult to take my camera that I take watches with up out to, you know, go take pictures of, uh, you know, my kids and, you know, other stuff, you know, just whatever's going on around. Cause it's annoying as shit to carry a giant camera around. Yeah. And you know, it's like if, if I were ever to break it, you know, it'd be, heartbreaking and I'd have to spend a whole bunch of money to replace it and all that. So I decided to get something that was easy to carry around, wasn't going to be used for watches. Um, and I could just grab and go like my, my quartz beater, if you will. Um, so I got a Fuji X 100 V, which is just a, um, fixed lens, uh, advanced point and shoot, yeah, Everett's telling me I should get insurance, which, yes, I do have that. Anyway. <laughs> so um, He wrote it, it in the handwriting of a three-year-old. Yes, too. he did. Um, I should have used it to take a picture of that because that was awful. Uh, but anyway, so this this camera's great. It, it's I keep it in my kitchen, um, so it doesn't go down, you know, into the studio where I do where I do pictures or any of that stuff. And it has just been wonderful to just grab it when my, you know, kids are running around the house in the morning and just take pictures of them doing stuff, you know, just life. 
Um, and we went to, uh, this weekend we went peach picking and I took it with me and I, I couldn't see the screen because of the sun. I, I just was just blindly shooting and I got these fantastic photos out of it. Everything just kind of, you know, like the planets aligned, the focus was good. The composition was good. And I was just so happy that I had it because one of my friends that I also shared the pictures with said to me, your daughter's going to love these photos when she's get, when she gets older. And like that, you know, just a comment like that made it all worth it. So I guess my point is if you, you're someone who does something like that, where you have, you know, a camera that you're using for work, um, you know, maybe take a look at getting something that you don't have to use for that. You know, it's, it, it can bring you back down to the, that hobby level where it's more fun. Um, and, so my, and the photos, I'll just say, I'll just say for my part, the photos you're getting out of the X100V are absolutely bonkers, wonderful, totally lovely photos. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, it it's optically, you know, perfect. Um, and it's it, it's really good for, you know, families because it's got, you know, the face and eye detection and all that. So it takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it. Um, and Fuji does Fuji does some really cool stuff with their with their software, too, which. Yeah, I use the, the film. Silly. Yeah, the film simulations, which are a lot of fun. You know, it's I don't edit them on my camera or anything. I just take them right out of the camera onto my phone and, you know, share them with family and friends. And it's it's just easy and it's more fun. Um, so the other thing is, uh, my other, other thing is a show on Netflix called brand new cherry flavor. And I started watching it before we started recording this. I, I think I watched three episodes cause I was hooked. It, it is freaking weird. It is probably one of the most bizarre shows I've ever watched, but I want to know what's going to happen next because it's, it, it's surreal because it's almost like a show that's based in reality but it's got all this other trippy stuff going on and you're not sure if it's, you know, like hallucinations or, um, you know, just actual supernatural stuff going on. I don't want to say too much about it, but what I'll say is it's about a girl who's a filmmaker in the nineties goes to Los Angeles, um, to try and sell her movie. And it's about what happens I after met that, that girl, the, the girl who plays the, no, Oh. I'm just joking. Or it was also a film producer at the train station. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it, it's a it's a limited series. I think it's only eight episodes, so it's you know one season and done. Um, but I'm probably going to finish it in two days because I'm absolutely hooked on it. It's really good. So I googled it, and here are the first three headlines that pop. Mm-hmm. Brand new cherry flavor review. The sickest thing on Netflix this year. Netflix is brand new. Brand new Cherry flavor is definitely channel zero. Brand new cherry flavor serves up a weird brew of empty calories. Those are just the top three. I'm intrigued. Were those titles written by a robot? (laughs) Yes, probably. Yeah, we got Polygon, (laughs) Forbes, and Action News Now. So those are all AI generated headlines. uh, (laughs) Mr. Al G generated. I watched the new Space Jam. It was trash. It was terrible. Uh, really, really bad. LeBron is not even a good actor when he's being himself. Yeah, the kids liked it. it. I thought it was real. I mean, it's fun, right? It's fun to see these NBA start. Yeah, anyway. Terrible. I did not have fun. Will, you got anything you, you want to add before we go today? That's it. Just uh, check out check out the website, the YouTube channel. Um, always looking for you know new people to hop on if you're listening to the show. Always love new people hopping on. And if you have, do you have any questions for Will, we are going to put his phone number into the show notes for you. Perfect. Andrew, you got anything you want to add? Out of things. Hey, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20 of the Watch Clicker podcast. 
Check us out on Instagram. You can check Will's page out at WatchClicker. You can check us out at 40 and 20. Also, please go to our website, WatchClicker.com. We post every single episode of this show on there, as well as weekly reviews from Will and Mike and Evan and all the other folks that contribute to the site. If you want to support us at WatchClicker, you can do so at Patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Look, guys. That's how we support all of our hosting fees, which are not small. It's how we buy hardware for the show. And it's how Andrew is supporting his new boat battery testing hobbies. Thousands of them. And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye, Daddy. Bye.